wife and I have been in Scotland for many years at this point. It's our home. Both of our kids were born there. Um, we love it, love it, love it. And I'm going to let her just talk to you for a minute because my son's going to get real antsy here. But he wants to say hello, I think, today. Is that right? <clears throat> Amen. All right. Well, tell him your name. What's your name? Finley. You got to say it loud. What's your name? Tell him loud. Finley. That's it. All right. All right. How, how old are you, Finley? Three. You're three. Okay. Where are you from? Scotland. Yeah. Where are you going? Sweden. Are you excited? Uh, You're not sure yet. <laughs> you excited to get? You excited to have a home? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'll bet. Okay. Mm. Amen. Anything else you want to say to these guys before we take you sit down? Um, I say I love you all. Oh, there it is. Amen. Let's go sit down, buddy. <laughs> It's always a little bit of a gamble. We're holding our breath. What will he say? But God has been good, and it's always been okay. <laughs> um, truly, I will just echo everything that Jonathan has already said to the Jeans, to the Kellys. Thank you so much. Um, as we were praying uh, just a few moments ago, I just began to just feel so overwhelmed with thankfulness. Yeah. You know, and I had my moments. Thank, you know, I'm thankful to the Jenkins for having us for Thanksgiving. I'm thankful just for the time we've had with good friends. Um, I think that we needed it more than I realized. <laughs> and um, as well, we're here today um, as missionaries, as representatives of that, but I feel it's so much more close to home today. We're here as family. We're here as part of the family of God, and that's what I really began to just feel so overwhelmingly thankful for, that there is a family of God that is truly, you've heard it before, but it is truly all over this world, and I'm more thankful and more, the reality of it is more real in my life than ever before, because you know what? I wouldn't want to do it alone. We probably could, but I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want to. And so I hope today that you find yourself thankful. And if you can't get yourself there, I hope by the end of today, you can find yourself thankful for what God has done in your life and what he's going to continue to do. And as we began this deputation journey, it was already stated we've been aimers for several years, which for those of you who don't know means we've been able to basically stay in the country for myself eight years and Jonathan 11 and we've just worked there and we um, I would work part-time and we were just able to kind of make it work um, but God really began to deal with us and we felt that we were supposed to go for full appointment and that just happened this past March and you know sometimes God you think things are gonna take a certain amount of time and you've got this time but sometimes God he just slams that fast-forward button and you better hope you've got your seatbelt on and you're ready to go and because we very quickly within a matter of two months found ourselves with our whole home packed up and on an airplane heading to North America knowing that we were going to be getting in a car with a three and five-year-old and traveling tens of thousands of miles all over North America yeah anybody else human in the house today all right I, you know, I, so I just found myself at a point, my daughter's human, she knows I'm human, um, we, I just found myself at a point where I began to seek God, I knew it's what he had called us to do, I knew that this was the right next step, but you know, I had my doubts, I had my, I shouldn't say doubts, concerns, okay, going into this, and I just prayed, and I said, God, can you just give me a solid word for what we're going to do, because you know, we're going into these churches, and missionaries go to churches to raise funds and do those things, but I wanted it to be so much more than that, I truly, we are going forward hoping to be a blessing everywhere we go, because it's good that you know about these things, it's good that 
it. Our minds are opened up to what the reality of God's work is all over the world. But I believe God wants to do and is doing something so vastly important in this hour. In this hour right now. And if you are here today, the amazing thing is, is that God has chosen you and you have taken a step forward to be a part of what he is doing. And so the word I felt God gave me was in Philippians, and it's chapter 1 and verse 3, and this is Paul. And he's speaking to the church of Philippi, and they were a missions-minded church. They were with Paul. They had his back, and I believe I'm speaking to those kind of people today. I know that I am. And Paul said this. He said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I can say from the bottom of my heart that every time I think about this church, about what you are doing in this city, I'm going to raise my hands and I'm going to thank God every time I think about you. Every time I remember what is happening in Salem, Illinois, what God is doing and how he is using each and every one of you to do it. And verse 6, I feel like, is just the anchor verse that God gave me. And I feel like he's hoping that some of you grab a hold of this verse today. You may have heard it. A thousand times. But I hope today it does something that it just shakes you to your very core. He says this, being confident. The Amplified says convinced and sure. I hope that today you are convinced and sure of this very thing. That he which hath began a good work in you. He hath. I think some of us need to remember that little four-letter word today. He hath began a good work in me. He has saved me. He has brought me out. He has called me right now in this time for a purpose. And he doesn't stop there. He says he will perform it until the coming of Jesus Christ. So until he comes back for his church, God has us. Until we hear that trumpet sound, God will perform every promise. He will fulfill every purpose in your life. And I hope today we can once again just raise our hands being confident, being sure and convinced that that God which started that good work in me will perform it until he returns. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. Lord, for what you have done and for what you will do, oh God. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. I do feel like, I do want to tell you, and we do have our table. We do have prayer cards. If you will just go ahead, even if you pick nothing else up, this is what we want you to get more than anything is our prayer card. And just pray for us. Pray for us as we continue on this journey. But I do believe that today, more than what we've come to share with you, that God wants to do something so incredibly special. And I hope today you'll just open your hearts to what he is wanting to do. God bless you. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. What a powerful, powerful presence of the Lord here this morning. Amen. And I appreciate my wife. You know, I've, I've, said, it, I've said it once. I'll probably say it a thousand times uh, more. Amen. But uh, when a man finds a wife, it says he finds a good thing. Amen. And not only that, when people saw the wife that I found, and probably Kyle can testify to this, amen, he said, good thing. Amen. <laughs> good thing. She makes, up for a lot of, uh, she makes up for a lot of shortcomings in my life. Um, I appreciate her, the woman that she is, um, the, uh, and the minister that she is. Amen. I appreciate that. And um, we're going into a situation right now where I wouldn't want any other, I wouldn't want anybody else next to me. Amen. In this world. I want Jesus next to me, but if I had to pick a human, that's the one I want. 
uh, with me. Amen. She's so, she's so awesome. Um, I do want to share just a little bit more about how we made this transition to Sweden because as, been, as I mentioned, we've been in Scotland for a long time now and uh, we, were enjoying, uh, we are enjoying our ministry in Scotland. We loved uh, the work there. We still love uh, desperately the work there. We miss it. Um, we, we mourn their, we mourn their losses and we celebrate their victories and, uh, you know, and, and we're still very much attached there, uh, in our hearts. Um, the school was going so incredibly well, um, things were going, um, awesome. And I still don't have an answer as to why God would remove us from that situation, amen, uh, in that, in, in, in that city and in that college and that ministry. But I do know why God has called us somewhere else, <laughs> amen, if that makes sense to uh, Sweden is the home of uh, so many things like Ikea, uh, Spotify, Candy Crush. These are all Swedish exports. Um, Swedish meatballs. Y'all like Swedish meatballs? Come on, somebody. Amen. Did you know Ikea? There's something like 2 million Swedish uh, Ikea meatballs consumed every single day. Can you believe that? Amen. It is contributing to the growth of the world. Uh, amen. On a daily basis. Praise God. Amen. But Swedish, uh, Sweden is also the home of over 10 million people. Uh, in, a, in a country the size, just a little bit bigger than California land-wise, there's only two churches uh, that we know of that are preaching the apostolic message. And if they all got together for general conference, there'd be about 30 of them, including the men, the women, the children, and the preacher. Uh, and so uh, why would God call us uh, from a ministry in Scotland, amen, into a ministry in Sweden? I believe that's got to be it because God cares about Sweden. God cares about the souls that are in this nation. They've got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The people, hallelujah. Amen. I believe that God is calling us to go and speak life to a situation that seems hopeless. You know, Sweden was once upon a time the home of the largest Pentecostal congregation in the entire world. Uh, Pastored by a guy named Louis Petrus, the Philadelphia Church in Stockholm, uh, at one point in time, was the largest congregation by all statistics, amen, in the entire world. That beats Africa, South America, Brazil, and every other place you can think of at one point in time. They had it, amen. But now about 2% of the country uh, goes to church on a Sunday morning. And I just, I, I don't believe that's the Lord's will, amen. I don't believe that God is looking at this country and He looks at them and He thinks that they're done. As a matter of fact, I believe that God is calling us uh, like the prophet Ezekiel. Am I Ezekiel? No, I'm not. But I go with the same promise. Amen. When he had in Ezekiel chapter 37, and God led him in a vision to a valley of dry bones. And I love what it says about this valley. It says, not only were the bones dry, but they were very dry. <laughs> Amen. They had been there a long time in a hopeless situation. There was no life. There was no hope. There was nothing. Amen. Except a valley of deadness and dullness. Amen. No hope at all. But God took Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones and asked him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Amen. And Ezekiel, he sounded probably a little bit something like me. Lord, you know. Amen. I don't know, Lord. What do you think? What do you say? <laughs> Amen. What do you want to happen here? And, and God began to challenge Ezekiel to speak words of life, to speak words of faith. Amen. To command life to these dry bones. Amen. And we go with the same promise of Ezekiel. We're going to speak life to a situation that seems absolutely hopeless. Amen. On the surface. 
We're going to speak life. And, and, and honestly, I, I, it's going to take faith to look upon a valley such as this. But I believe just like in the prophet Ezekiel, God and the breath of God can begin to come from every corner of the world upon this valley. Amen. And sinew and flesh and life can become uh, a part of this nation. And not only this, I love what it says, and, and that the nations around them will know that there's a God. Amen. No, there's a God in heaven that is still operating. You see, the people of Sweden have cast off God long ago as a fable or a fairy tale or a myth, something that used to get them through their daily business when they didn't have socialism or whatever else they depend on today. Amen. But I believe the people of Sweden are about to find out that there is a God in heaven. And not only that, not only that, not only that, but I believe, as it says as well, that, this, that this, this individual, these individuals, these bones became something so incredible. They became an army. They became a standing army that brought and fought for the Lord. And I believe that today, amen, when we go, we're going to create, amen, not creating ourselves, amen, but go to see God raise up an army of individuals, apostolic leaders and preachers and ministers, amen. I'm not going to win the whole nation on my own. I'm going to train a few, amen, they are going to win the nation. That's what I believe today, amen. I believe that there will be churches in every single city, in every single village, in every single corner of Sweden. Amen. And they will never be the same when the God of heaven shows up on their shores. Can you believe that with me today? Amen. I'm going to tell you what, if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be going. <laughs> Amen. If I didn't believe God was with us, I wouldn't be stepping foot into that nation because we do face a challenge and we do ask for your prayers. More than anything else today, as my wife began to indicate, please take a prayer card and pray for us. We believe nothing gets accomplished in the kingdom without prayer. And certainly nothing gets accomplished through me, amen, without it. I'm not good enough and I'm not clever enough, amen, to do it on my own. But I need the prayers of the saints and the Spirit of God to accomplish it, amen. Praise God. I appreciate your partnership, I appreciate your prayers, and I appreciate the opportunity to share with you here this morning. But that's, that's enough about us today. And much to uh, Pastor Kyle's dismay, I'm sure, there is no skit. And our video is in editing, and so uh, we, are, we are perhaps the, the, the lamest missionaries you've seen. <laughs> Amen. We'll have a video up on the web uh, before too long. Our Facebook page is on the prayer card as well, so like it, follow us, and eventually you can see our video and, you know, maybe cry the tears that you would have cried today. I don't know. Amen. But it's so good, so good to be here. Why don't we stand today? I want to talk about, I want to talk about us. I want to talk about you here for a little while this morning. As well. Amen. We're going to turn together to John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 34 and 35. Perhaps familiar portions of Scripture. I believe they probably are. Amen. But hopefully I can, uh, we, can, we can find some new revelation uh, this morning. Amen. I so appreciate the fresh word uh, brought by uh, the Sunday school teacher in the adult class here this morning. My goodness. I love hearing him teach. Amen. He is, he is anointed, gifted man of God. <clears throat> and I know I don't have to convince you to like him. I just never get to say stuff like this from this uh, pulpit. So, and uh, and I, I realize where I'm standing this morning. And uh, I realize the ministry that you get here on a daily or a weekly basis, week in, week out. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier this week. Amen. He's from Illinois originally or lived here for a long time. And he said, Brother Gene is one of his top five favorite preachers. I don't know who came before you or where you fall on that list, Brother Gene, but you're one of his top five. Amen. And uh, he's jealous that you can preach and sing and do all those things. Amen. So I know what you hear on a weekly basis, but I believe that the Lord would have us preach this morning. Amen. 
John chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, saying this, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. I wonder if you can say with me, look on the fields. Amen. For the next few moments this morning, I would like to preach to you a simple message entitled, Look on the Fields. Amen. Why don't you put your Bible down on the chair behind you one more time. Let's lift our hands to heaven. I feel the presence of the Lord here. Amen. I feel, amen, the weight of the Holy Ghost in this house. I believe God wants to touch us. Hallelujah. God, I believe, Lord, you're here today, God, to do a work. God, in our hearts and in our spirits. God, I pray that you'd anoint us. God, anoint our hearts, anoint our minds. God, anoint us with your Holy Ghost. That your angels, God, minister in this house this morning. God, that your sovereign will, Lord, would be accomplished in this place. God, in this local church. God, in this community. Father, I pray in every saint of God that's here under the sound of my voice. Oh, God, I'm praying right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Challenge us this morning, oh, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let your presence fall in this house this morning. Oh, God, we pray. In the name of Jesus, why don't we clap our hands one more time to the Lord as we're seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Jesus, looking at His disciples at one point in time, He looked at them and He said that the harvest was great. And He wasn't talking about the harvest in the way that we talk about our meal sometimes. You know, we, we go out to Denny's. Amen. I know there's somebody, there's somebody here that loves Denny's. I know it. Amen. There aren't that many options here. Amen. So you either love Denny's, you love Applebee's, and, and amen, or you love Mexican food. Isn't that right? And I just happen to love all three, so that works for me. Amen. And so, but he wasn't talking about, he wasn't talking about the meal like I talked about Thanksgiving a little while ago. He was talking about it in quantitative terms, not qualitative terms. When he thought about the harvest, he realized it's a big harvest. Amen. It's a huge harvest. And, and I believe that fact bothered Jesus, but I believe the, the next fact bothered him even more, and it was simply this, that the laborers were few. And when Jesus went to bed at night and he started calculating, uh, he thought about the, the, the greatness, the vastness of the harvest, but he also thought about the labor pool. And this equation didn't really add up in Jesus' mind. It didn't make sense to him. It didn't, it didn't equate. It, it wasn't going to be enough to do what he knew had to happen on this earth. And so he used that opportunity talking to his disciples, relaying these truths to them to give the one prayer request that ever left the lips of Jesus in the New Testament record. And I believe it's so significant that the one time Jesus asked for prayer, it was about this, this, this equation. Amen. What did he say? He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. That, and, and I believe that reveals something to us about Jesus Christ. He cares about the harvest. If he didn't know it already, he cares, amen, about the harvest. He cares about the big harvest out there. It's not something just to admire. It's not something just to think about. It's not something just to preach about. Amen. It's what Jesus Christ cares about more than anything else on this earth. That's why we exist as the church today. That's why we're still on this earth today. Amen. Is to reach the harvest. Praise God. Amen. And so when I look around this congregation, what a wonderful congregation it is. I'm so excited to see a full room. Amen. In this gym. I'm so excited to see what God is doing here. Uh, but when I look around this room, I, I believe I see the answer to Jesus Christ's prayer request. 
The answer to his request are sitting on these church chairs here this morning. Not just because, not just because somebody invited you. Not just because you're here and because somebody invited you, they were doing the work of the Lord and invited your mother, your father, your grandparents, whatever it might be. But because you, as children of God, you as people who are born again, amen, baptized into the body of Christ, have now been commissioned into something, amen, that is bigger than what's happening right here, is bigger than what's happening in your life, amen. You've been commissioned into the harvest. You are now laborers in the vineyard. But here's reality. Here's the other reality. You might be like knocking it out of the park this morning. Amen. You might be killing it on the harvest field. You might be doing everything you can do. Amen. In the vineyard of the Lord. Or you might not be. Amen. But I believe we are entering into a time period where there is not a chance, there is not time, amen, for there to be people who are professional Christians, amen, professional uh, church chair sitters, amen, we're not, the time is so short, amen, we need every single individual that has been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and born again of the Spirit of God to be active in what God is calling them into. Here's why it's important. Somebody you know is depending on you. Somebody... You know, somebody that God has brought into your circle of influence, God has ordained that you are the link between an eternity with Christ and an eternity without Him. Somebody, amen, God has brought into your path, somebody in your school, somebody in your workplace, somebody in the community, somebody at Denny's, amen, is waiting on you to be the witness that God has called you to be. Amen. So it's time for us to reach up and get a hold of it today. Amen. It's time for us to reach up and get a hold of what God is calling every single one of us into. Amen. John chapter 4 is one of my favorites in the book of John. And it's one of my favorites. Uh, One of the reasons is it's probably not admirable. uh, But one of the reasons it's my favorite is because of the, uh, what I find within the page, I find this thing that they call sarcasm. I love sarcasm. I've heard it's the lowest form of humor. Some of y'all might subscribe to that, but it's my favorite. Amen. It's my absolute favorite. Amen. I've been in the UK for 11 years. And like their favorite humor in the UK is dry, sarcastic, ironic humor. And so if you don't get on board, and even Brother Kelly, I'm going to tell you that right now. Amen. If Kyle's sarcastic, I don't know if he is or not really, but yes, he is. Amen. He comes by naturally. (laughs) This is why. Because in the UK, you either get on board or you walk around offended or confused, amen, as to what is transpiring. And so I got on board, much to probably some people's dismay, but I love it. And when I see it in the verses of Scripture, and maybe Jesus get a little salty, just perhaps, amen, it makes me feel a little bit better about me. Amen. And I know you don't read Scripture to feel better about yourself. Amen. But you got to take whatever you can get. Isn't that right, Brother Gene? Amen. Sometimes you need to just feel better about you. Amen. And I find, I, I, that's what I find here. But it also can, it contains a lot of revelation as well about this harvest that we're talking about. Amen. It contains revelation about the heart of our Lord with respect uh, to the harvest. It reveals a lot about how Jesus feels about the harvest. Amen. But it also reveals a lot about the harvest that we are called to be engaged in. But most importantly for us, perhaps here this morning, it it reveals some things about us as individuals who are called uh, into the harvest field. 
I want to pick back up in John chapter 4. I'm going to work my way back to the key text this morning. If you want to follow along, they've got the, the scriptures for the screen here this morning. But talking of Jesus, it says this. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. And this would have been a really puzzling thing for Jesus to say to his disciples over breakfast that morning. You know, when he we woke up, they're finishing their fish breakfast. I don't know why they did that, but hey, amen. They're finishing their fish breakfast, and uh, he's looking over at them and saying, hey, boys, we got to go to Galilee uh, this morning. But first of all, I've got to go to Samaria. They would have laughed at Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, you're playing a prank on us, man. I didn't know you were funny. And they would have looked at Jesus, and they would have thought that he, that he was maybe joking them. This would have been a really weird thing for him to say, because every good Jew in Jesus' day goes around Samaria. You see, the path around and through Perea was a whole lot more uh, trodden by Jesus, or by the good Jews of Jesus' day, because for about a thousand years there had been this religious and, and racial division in the land. The Jews looked at the Samaritans, and they looked at them as people who had married heathens took on their idolatrous practices, yet still claimed to be Jacob's children and, and children of Jehovah. Amen. They still claimed to worship the Jewish God and be a part of the Jewish family. But the Jews, they looked at these individuals and said, you guys have nothing to do with us. You don't have anything to do with us. We don't have anything to do with you. And so just imagine living next door to somebody for a thousand years, despising them and being despised. And so for Jesus to say that I've got to go to Samaria, it reveals something about Jesus' heart with relation to the Samaritans, to the people who don't look like us, to the people who don't worship like us, to the people who don't sound or act or do things like we think they ought to do them. Amen. Jesus loves them. He loves the despised. He loves the outcast. He loves the people who have no hope or promise in the world. He loves them. Amen. He loves your neighbors. Amen. He loves the people who we've written off. He loves those individuals. Amen. So desperate. And not only that, but he's got to get to them. He's dying to get to them. He must, needs, get to the Samaritans. Praise God. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, about noon or one o'clock, in the afternoon, there cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now I'll pause here again this morning and say this. This wasn't an innocent question on the behalf of the Samaritan woman. And, I, and I'll preface what I'm going to say next by saying this. Uh, I love the KJV. I read it on a daily basis. I'm not going to get stoned for saying anything, am I? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Amen. I love it. I read it on a daily basis. It's a great, accurate translation. I, I, it's, it's wonderful and all those things. It's beautiful as well. And sometimes because of its beauty and its prose, I, I am lost when it's talking to me. Yes, I understand the words on the page, but I, I miss the sense of what is being said because I just don't talk like this anymore. As a matter of fact, my wife gave a statistic to me the other day that she had come across. And uh, back in Shakespeare's day, they had something like 53,000 words uh, to deal with. In his wheelhouse, uh, Shakespeare was working with 53 or more thousand words. That's a lot of words, isn't it? You know how many we're operating with here in modern-day America? 3,000. <laughs> and so sometimes, if you don't understand, you're missing like 50,000 words. Okay. 
Amen. Now that we now that we Amen. Now that we got that established, okay? I love it. All right? But but for like the first 14 years of my Christian life, I probably read that verse a little something like this. How is it that thou being a Jew ask us to drink of me? Oh, a lowly Samaritan woman. What an honor you have bestowed upon me today. What rapture and glory I feel in my heart on this blessed afternoon. As you would ask a drink from my hand, good sir. Oh, I'll come back for your, your uh, thing, uh, your community meal. <laughs> Amen. But you know what? She didn't sound like that. She wasn't blessed. She wasn't pleased. She wasn't honored. So when she looked back at Jesus, it probably sounded a little something like this. Why are you talking to me? How is it, buddy, that you would even think that this was a good idea? How is it that you think that I would want to get you water? How is it that you think that I would want to talk to you? Why would you think that this conversation should even happen? I don't know if you're lost, but you are in Samaria. I know it's hot. And maybe you're seeing stuff. Maybe you think I'm somebody I'm not. I am not a mirage. I am the real living thing. I don't want to talk to you. You don't want to talk to me. And just in case you're lost and just in case you're maybe crazy from the heat, I'm going to turn my back on you. I'm going to, I'm going to let you be. I'm going to forget this ever happened. I'm going to let you go about your merry way. That was all right in that verse. Did you know that? Who knew? But Jesus isn't going to respond to her the way that she talks to him. He's going to look back at her and offer words of truth and promise and love. And he says this, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now we as Pentecostals need not to be tempted to read 2,000 years of Pentecostal history into that verse. She had no idea what he was talking about. It was living water. Amen. It was, they were by a well, and he was thirsty. Amen. And so the woman looks back at him and says, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Again, this is not an innocent question. She probably sounded a little something like this. Buddy, you don't even got a bucket. You don't got a rope, a pulley, a cup, any apparatus under that tunic of yours. Amen. That you're going to get water out of this well. And buddy, I don't know if you know this, but we build wells really deep here in Samaria. And so just in case, just because you persist, just in case you want to have this conversation with me this morning, let me, I'm going, to, I'm going to fuel the fires of division. If I couldn't get you off my back before, I'm going to do it now. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? You see what she did there? Are you greater than my daddy Jacob? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Amen. Who gave us the well? And you know what she's expecting him to do at that point in time? She's expecting him to give her a piece of his mind. She's expecting rejection. She's expecting condemnation. She's expecting an argument. She's expecting everything that she has gotten for the rest of her life and every generation before her has gotten. Amen. She's expecting those things. And, and she tries to feed into it. But Jesus isn't going to be baited. And Jesus isn't going to go down that road. Amen. He looks back at her and says this, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I should give him shall never thirst, but the water that I should give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And I believe at this point the woman is getting exhausted and she looks back at Jesus and says, Sir, give me the water. Fine. Fine, give me the water. That I don't have to thirst anymore or come to, or come to draw. But you know what she does there? She reveals something about what's happening on the inside of her heart. You see, this woman doesn't want to be at that well in the middle of the day. 
She doesn't want to come to the well, amen, and the, when, the, when the sun is blazing hot. Amen. She doesn't want to come at that point in the, in, in, in the day. You know, anybody with any sense comes in the morning when the sun isn't at its peak. And they come back in the evening time to get what they need for the rest of the night. But this woman has been ostracized and forced to go to the well at the middle of the day because her life is in utter ruin. It's in utter shambles. She can't come when the other people come because she hangs her head in shame on a daily basis. She walks with condemnation and heaviness and weight because her life is a mess. And so Jesus is going to step through this door that she didn't even know she cracked to him. And he's going to push it wide open at this point. And he says, hey, why don't you call Bubba? Bring your husband and come here and talk to me. Bring him here. I want to talk to him. And I don't know if she had to regain her composure or what happened at that point in time. But she looks back at Jesus and says, sir, I don't have a husband. And this is where if I was Jesus, the smile would begin to develop on my face just a little bit. <laughs> you know, you're right. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, you've had five. And you're working on number six. He don't belong to you. Amen. I th I'm not perfect. Amen. But Jesus isn't doing this to, to dig up her past. He's not doing this to condemn, but he wants to get to where he can help her. Amen. He looks at her and he says this, uh, you know, you've had five husbands and you're working on the six. And so she goes back at Jesus and I perceive a prophet is in the house. But you know what? She's not willing to let this prophet begin to talk about this area of her life. She realizes that he's a man of God. She realizes that he could see things that she didn't know that he could see. She realizes that he's tuned into something, amen, that she doesn't got a hold of, but she doesn't want this man to get in the midst of her business. She's not willing to, to let this Jew, she doesn't trust him, she doesn't know him, amen, and she's not willing to let him get into that, in that place in her life. And, and, and Jesus is going to persist, however. She wants to turn it into a theological debate. Isn't that awesome? We try to do this, we try to reach out to somebody, we try to talk to them about God, and they want to turn it into a theological debate, don't they? Well, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? What about Hurricane Harvey or Irma? What about the island of Barbuda? They can't even, they can't even, there aren't anybody there anymore. There's nobody there. It's destroyed completely. If God is so good, why do these things, why do these things take place? But Jesus is not going to be baited into a theological debate either. He's going to, he's going to continue, amen, to speak words of truth and love and, and clarity and, and revelation. And he says to her, look, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And because Jesus has done this, because Jesus has operated in the way that he operated, amen, because he speaks words of life and truth, he's not offended, he doesn't get into a fight, he doesn't get into an argument, he's gotten now to where this woman has revealed what's going on right in the core of her life. You see, this woman who on the outside, on her exterior, is absolutely hard, she's divisive, she's abrasive, amen, she's argumentative, and, and, and all these things are happening. On the inside of this woman, there's something else transpiring. She says this, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. You see, on the inside of this woman who is acting in this way, she's really crying out for the Messiah. She's really desperate for the one who can heal all of her pain, to take away all of her shame. She's, she's waiting on the one who can bring clarity to all of her confusion, that can bring, amen, healing to every division and everything else that she's experienced in her life. She's waiting on that one called the Messiah. She doesn't know what he looks like. She doesn't know his name. She doesn't know what he's going to be doing, but she just knows that he's out there. Amen. And something inside of her heart is crying out desperately for this one that they call the Christ. And Jesus takes this moment, he capitalizes on this opportunity, he says, I that speak unto thee am he. Isn't that awesome? And in a moment, in a space of 30 seconds, faith begins to transpire in this woman's heart. She reaches up and grabs a hold of what Jesus Christ has just said to her, and things begin to happen in her life. 
Amen. That shame that she walked to the well with begins to erode. Amen. That, that lack of confidence, that insecurity, and that intimidation that she brought with her to that well. Amen. She leaves it behind with her water pot and she goes into the city and begins to declare to all the men of the town, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a, what a life change. Amen. What an unexpected happening at the well in the middle of the day when you meet Jesus. I'm telling you today, there's somebody here this morning, amen, that has come and you're not sure if God loves you. You're not sure if this church loves you. God is here. Amen. And he's, He needs to get to you. He's wanting to get to you this morning. Amen. He wants to heal your division. He wants to heal your pain. He wants to take away your shame and your insecurity. He wants to do it here this morning. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. But verse 27 is what is so enlightening about us. It says, Upon this came His disciples and marveled that He talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? What just happened? As Peter and John and the rest of the boys started approaching Jesus, talking to this Samaritan woman, I can just imagine Peter nudging John saying, John, what in the world is he doing? Why is he talking to that woman? What on earth could he hope to accomplish with that woman? You see, the heart of their Lord was so often revealed to them, was lost at this time and, and so many other times as well. And when they saw Jesus talking to this woman, they just couldn't get their head wrapped around it. You see, in no way did she meet their religious outreach criteria. In no way was she a recipient of the promises of Israel. Yeah, I can get you calling Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, but you know what? He's a Jew, and we could forgive him for that. You know, he was, he was under pressure from the Romans and so forth and so on. Amen. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't great. I, I, had, I had some hardness in my life. Whatever it is, amen. But they couldn't understand why Jesus would talk to this woman. They couldn't get their head wrapped around why he would talk to a woman of ill repute, why he would talk to a woman who was an outcast, obviously, from her society. Why would Jesus waste his time on such a one? Let me tell you this. How did she meet Jesus' outreach criteria? She met it in simply this way, that she was a soul. Amen. She's a person. She woke up with a pulse, a heartbeat. Amen. Breath in her lungs. Hallelujah. She woke up that morning and she was there. She was hungry for the Messiah. That's how she met the religious outreach criteria of the Lord. And so Jesus is going to take this opportunity to teach his boys a lesson. You know what? Jesus is kind of mad right now. He might not have known that, but Jesus is upset. He didn't just take this moment to give them a nice sermon on the, on the harvest. No, he wants to reveal something about their hearts. They try to get him to eat lunch, and Jesus indicates that he's not interested. And they're wondering who in the world brought Jesus lunch. I thought he was hungry. He sent us away to get food. What did he, what, and he said, look, I've got meat to eat that you don't even know about. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Boys, I do not care about the things that you care about. I do not care about the things that your mind is so wrapped up in, your heart is so invested in. I don't care about any of those things. I don't care about the glory that you keep trying to heap on me. I don't care about any of those other things. What I care about is the work that God has sent me to do. I care about the harvest. I care about the mission. I care about the mandate upon my life. I've got to get a hold of it. Amen. I've got to pursue it with everything that's in me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And church, let me tell you something this morning. God has put that same hunger inside of every single Christian. God has put that same hunger in the heart of every single born-again believer. If His heart is in you, if His Spirit is in you, amen, you've got the hunger of Jesus Christ in your life. And nothing else will satisfy except doing the will of God that has now sent you and ordained you to do what only you can do in this world. Come on. Somebody's got to rise up and get a hold of the call of God on their life that is greater, amen, than anything you have ever known before. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! <laughs> 
Praise God, praise God, praise God. So he's going to teach them a lesson. Not only do I not care about those things, and I'm not worried about those things, but here's another thing I want to talk to you about. Look at that field over there. What do you say? It's about four months, and then the harvest is going to come. Is that about right, boys? Yeah, Jesus. It's about four months, and the harvest is going to come. Wrong. Well, here we go again. Boys, just like that meat of mine is to do the will of him that sent me. So this harvest I'm referring to is not one of wheat. It's not one of barley. It's people. It's people. It's people. You see, you look at this Samaritan woman as an outcast of her society. You look at this Samaritan woman as somebody who should be written off, as an impossibility. You look at this woman as somebody who is not ready now, nor will she maybe ever be ready for what I have to offer under her. But I will tell you again, look at the fields one more time. Look at the fields one more time. And I can just imagine at this moment an absolutely earth-shattering, groundbreaking, paradigm-shifting vision happening in the sight of the disciples of that same woman that they had just written off begins to walk through that same field coming from Sychar with the entire community. Amen. Men and women and children, loved ones and lost ones, all the same, amen, are following this woman to come and see a Messiah that she had just met. Church, let me tell you something. This woman who just wrote off as an impossibility became an evangelist. She became a missionary and she turned a community upside down. Hallelujah. How many people do we write off on a daily basis? Amen. That we say they're impossibilities. They don't want anything to do with what I've got. No, they seem so happy. They just told me about their new BMW. They just told me about their new vacation. They just told me about the, all the alcohol and drugs they did. Amen. Over the weekend, whatever it might be. They just told me about all these things and how content they are with their life. Folks, let me tell you something. That's nothing but a facade. On the outside, they might look four months away. Amen. But on the inside, they're ripe. They're white. They're ready. They're waiting. Amen. For a harvest that you amen are a part of praise God we got to get a hold of this fact I'm so glad hallelujah 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 I'm so glad somebody didn't look at me as an impossibility amen this old boy who's 16 years old first day of my junior year of high school I walked up into the high school with Doc Martin boots big old black baggy pants button up black shirt with fire coming out of the pockets Amen. A big old fro on my head that I picked out in the mornings with, big, with orange tips. My, my, uh, one of my best friends during this time, his nickname was Satan. My nickname was Natty because that was the beer I drank on the weekends. Amen. Natty Ice. That was me. On the outside, impossibility. On the outside, I don't want anything to do with what you've got. On the outside, don't invite me to church. On the outside, don't tell me Jesus loves me. I'm going to laugh you to scorn. On the outside, all these things are absolutely true. I couldn't hardly put a sentence together without saying a curse word. Amen. On the outside, that was who I was. But on the inside, there was something different that was happening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Because as a 10-year-old child, I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins in another state. I was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On a Sunday night service in Raleigh's First United Pentecostal Church in 1994. Amen. But I went home and I lived in a home and a house that was absolutely, uh, that was, that was, that was anti-God, that was abusive. Amen. That squashed the life out of this 10-year-old child. And I would just go back to North Carolina and repeat the process over and over and over again until eventually I lost contact with church altogether. I found myself in a completely broken place. But I never forgot what God did inside of me. 
Amen. So this is how I was praying during that time. Oh, God, won't you send me somebody? God, won't you send somebody that I can live for you with? God, won't you send me somebody who I can give my life to you with? God, I want to I wanna live for you. I wanna, and I would try to pray. I would try to break into these things. I would try to even speak in tongues sometimes. Amen. In, in my room at night. Hanging out with Satan during the day. Amen. And going home to my room and praying to Jesus at night. <laughs> Folks, let me tell you. I'm not unique. Amen. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. My story might be my own, amen, but there are Samaritans in your community who we write off on a daily basis, but who on the inside are still crying out for the Messiah. They're still crying out for what only Jesus can do for them. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Church, what I believe that God would tell us today as well is that looking on the fields will always take faith. The fields are always going to look four months away. Salem is always going to look like it's just, just another year of prayer and fasting away. Just another, just another uh, giving campaign away or whatever it might be. Just another moment, just another four months, just around the river bend, whatever you want to say. Amen. Revival is just down that way. But can I tell you today that revival is never going to show up here at Salem wrapped in a bow. Amen. It's not going to happen. Amen. We rejoice in the ones who come up the street. But how many of them, how many of you came off the street without anybody inviting you? It just doesn't happen. Amen. But somehow we're hoping for it. If we could just pray enough, if we could just do these things. Amen. But God is calling us as the church, as the witnesses, as the preachers. Amen. In Salem, Illinois, to look on the fields. Amen. And believe that they're white. And that refuse to believe the things that we see with our eyes. Amen. Or we doubt in our hearts and say, I just got to believe that the fields are white. I believe. Amen. If they were white 2,000 years ago, that they're whiter now than they've ever been before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But we got to believe it. We've got to believe it. We've got to believe it. We've got to believe it. Amen. We've got to take it. We've got to own it. We've got to know, amen, that Jesus Christ means what He says and act upon His words. But I realize today that you can buy everything that I'm saying. I realize today that you can look at the fields and say, I believe that they're white. I believe they're ready to harvest. But you've got to go home and look at yourself in the mirror as well. God, the harvest is white. The harvest is great. But I'm not. Amen. I'm not ready. I'm not clever enough, good enough, smart enough. I can't quote Acts 2.38 properly half the time. God, I can't teach a Bible study. I can't teach a Sunday school class. I can't witness. God, I'm terrified of witnessing. I'd rather give my life like Jonah was willing to do than testify to somebody of the Lord. Isn't that funny? Jonah was really, he was willing to be killed in the ocean than to go to Nineveh and preach. It blows my mind, but we're not so different. We're not so different. We don't want to die. Amen. We don't want to give ourselves. We don't want to put ourselves out there and be exposed. Amen. We don't want to do those things. Amen. But can I tell you today that God does not need your personality? He does not need your personality, your charisma, or any other thing that you have to offer unto Him. No. All God needs, amen, from you is what He's done for you. Amen. This woman in Samaria, verse 39, it says this is so revealing. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on Him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all I ever did. Can I tell you today that the most powerful thing in your arsenal is not Acts 2.38, it's your testimony. Amen. And when I go to the back of the book, it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, which has been on us. Amen. And the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. It's time that we refuse to be silenced, refuse to be intimidated. Amen. And believe that God can do whatever He wants to do if I'll just speak what He's done for me. Amen. If, if God has done it for me, God can do it for you as well. If God can do it for me, amen, He can do it in your marriage. He can do it in your life. He can do it for your children. Praise God. You see, they can argue with your history. They can argue with your theology. But they can't argue with your testimony. 
Amen. They can argue, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. God took away my shame. God took away my bondage. He took away my fear. He took away my insecurity. He took away my bond. He took away all these things I was struggling with. Amen. And only God did it. Praise God. But we got to refuse, amen, to be silenced in this day and age. Praise God. Let's stand together, church. Amen. Today we face the same exact decision as did the apostles in the book of Acts. You see these men who were experiencing 5,000 soul revival here and there. Amen. They were experiencing so much success. They looked at one point in time and the, the, the same people who had crucified Jesus, that same Sanhedrin council, now had them in their eyesight. And in their, in their, their bullseye was on them. And they called them before them and began to command them, it says in verse 18 of Acts chapter 4. They commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And you know what? We're living in a society and in a world and in a culture and in a climate, amen, that's saying the exact same thing to us. Do not preach about Jesus. Do not speak in His name. Do not tell us about Him. We're done with Him. Amen. We thought we were done with Him. Amen. Preach in the name of Buddha if you want to. Preach in the name of yourself if you want to. Preach in the name of Tony Robbins or whoever you want to. Amen. But do not preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we've got the same decision to make as did the disciples. And in verse 23, they looked down, or they, 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 they joined their company, and it says, they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And said, Lord, Thou art God, which hast made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Jumping down to verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Behold their threatenings. You know what, church? None of us are in mortal danger this morning for giving our testimony at Denny's. Amen at our workplace or our schools. We're not going to be put in prison. Probably not going to be beat up. Amen. We are not in danger for preaching the Word of God or His name. But you know what? We've got, we've got fear. We've got doubt. We've got intimidation. We've got insecurity. And we've got a whole lot of excuses. Number one right here. Reach out to that person over there, amen. I got a thousand reasons why they don't want anything to do with what I've got. How crazy is that? But God knows us, He knows our frame, He knows our, He knows our weaknesses. I believe we can lift these things to Him this morning and say, Oh God, won't you behold these things that have kept me from getting engaged? God, won't you behold these things that have kept me from speaking my testimony to my friends? God, I can go out for a cup of coffee with them, God, but I'm terrified to tell them about you. I can invite them over to my house for dinner, oh Lord, but I'm terrified to tell them about you. I can work next to them every day, amen, but I'm so terrified to tell them about who I am in you and who you are to me. God, I'm afraid they'll reject me. I'm afraid of all these different things. God, won't you look at these things in me, oh God. Behold them, Lord. Won't you forgive me tonight? Won't you forgive me? Hallelujah, God, I pray that you'd, that you'd take these things away. Amen. And you know what he'll do? We can continue to pray with the apostles and say this. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. God, help me to speak your word with boldness. God, break that fear, that intimidation. God, I want to I I speak with boldness, Lord. 
God, my world needs my boldness. God, my world needs you, and i got to be bold. Lord, I pray, give it to me today. I'm tired of my failings. I'm tired, Lord God, of my excuses. God, give me boldness today. But not only that, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Folks, this is our inheritance. This belongs to us as children of God, as apostolic believers. This is the dynamic that we walk in. Amen. We walk in the element of the supernatural, which means that when we speak, we proclaim, God listens, and God works. When we get on the spot and we lay hands on the sick, amen. Not inside, it'll happen here too, but outside of these four walls, if God brings those opportunities before us, amen, we can lay hands on the sick and we will see them recover. This is our inheritance. Amen. But we got to pray into it. We got to pray into it. We have not because we ask not. God, give me boldness today. And give me authority. Lord Jesus, give me power that when I walk and lay hands on the sick and every opportunity that you bring before me, God, that I can be, amen, on the spot, that I won't let you down, God, that I won't fail, amen, that I will do it, amen, and I'll be faithful, God, and I'm going to see you respond, church. Let me tell you something. When we pray this way, when we pray into the harvest of God, when we pray, amen, into ourselves being engaged in the harvest, God will respond. Verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the Word of God with boldness. Amen. If we'll pray into this today, amen, God will give you something, amen, that you need. He'll give you something, amen, that you're longing for. Today, if you don't have the Holy Ghost or it's been a long time since you've been refilled or renewed of the Holy Ghost, I believe that you can pray into that today and God is willing, He's able, He's ready, amen, to pour out what you need on you today, amen. He'll give you boldness, He'll give you power, He'll give you authority, amen, but we got to pray into it today. Come on, church, let's do that right now. Let's believe every hand across this room, amen. Let's begin to, God, behold, God, behold my fear, God, behold my doubt, God, behold my insecurity. God, see my, see my intimidation that I've walked with for so long. God, see my excuses. Every reason that I've given to you, God, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you forgive me. Take them away. God, but I don't want you just to take them away, God. I want to be different. God, I want to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. God, that when I walk my streets, oh Lord, and you bring an opportunity before me, God, I'm going to have boldness. God, when I see my co-worker on Monday and they want to talk to me about Thanksgiving, I'm going to tell them what I'm thankful for. Oh, God, won't you do it inside of me today? God, won't you do it inside this church? Oh, God, won't you do it inside of every born-again believer in this house today? Oh, God, God, give them a boldness and authority and confidence that they've never known. God, that when they walk the streets of Salem, God, they do it with their head held high. Oh, God, confident that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is not only with them, but He's in them. Come on, church, let's pray into this. God wants to shake somebody's life today. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Allow them to do it this morning. Come on, let's pray. Amen, let's pray. Let's let God touch us. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know what your custom is, amen, but if you're hungry for this, if you want this, amen, I want to invite you forward. Praise God to these altars and declare 
before God and before everybody else, I do not want to be the same. Amen. I, I, I want to be different. I want this boldness. I want this authority. I'm ready to operate in my apostolic identity. Amen. In my inheritance. Amen. These altars are open. Praise God. If that's you, why don't you come today? We're going to pray. Amen. God's going to pour it out upon us today. Hallelujah, Jesus.